Okay, so we're starting off week two of our eight-week series, sermon series, Revelation for Not Crazy People. And so we're making our way through the book of Revelation, this fraught book with complex and weird and messed up afterlife and trying to figure out how do we read this responsibly while still getting at the power of the brilliant imagery in this book, but simultaneously not going off the deep end. Because there is a whole lot here that is potentially helpful. And there is a whole lot here that is not particularly helpful. And we're gonna, that's what we're going to dive into, that tension some of today. So let's remind ourselves where we are. Last week, we met this guy named John. Not the same John from the Gospels, not the John from a couple weeks ago, uh, from 1 John, a different John. And our John is exiled on an island called Patmos in the middle of the ocean, and, or Mediterranean rather, and he's in this ecstatic trance. And he sees this vision of this larger-than-life, glowing, radiant Christ. And surrounding him, surrounding Christ, were seven lampstands. And Christ said, these are the seven churches. And now, of course, which seven churches do they happen to be? But the seven that we're looking at in these two chapters today. Convenient, isn't it? And so we have seven churches along what is now the west coast of Turkey, And so 30, 50 years ago or so, Paul was going through this area and starting churches in this area. So these are the churches we're talking about. And in his vision, John's Jesus says, write down these words to the churches. And so Jesus goes through one by one and dictates these letters to each church, literally going through the list of them, going up the western coast of Turkey and then inland just like a courier would go, right? And, then, and these letters are all unique from one another, all distinct and, and quirky and so interesting. So for example, John's Jesus gives these churches feedback on how they're doing. And so two churches get entirely negative, Feedback. One church gets entirely positive, and then everybody else, the other four, get a mix, positive and negative. And so they're commenting on these circumstances that these churches are facing, that they're running into, and how to fix those problems. Now, if we're really going to understand John and what he's trying to get across to these churches, there's a couple things we need to keep track of. So first of all, For the entirety of the book of Revelation, we cannot lose sight of the fact that the Jews were under the thumb of their imperial overlords, the Roman Empire. And this is the main conflict of the whole book. God versus Rome. Now, from John's perspective, his fellow Jews have been assimilating too much. They've, they've been coming, becoming too Roman. And so he says, you, you guys are Jews. You can't abandon that and go over to Rome. Because for John, the stakes are so high. And in order to understand why, we need to step back just a second. So at that time, there was this phenomenon going around called the imperial cult. 
not cult-like Waco or Charles Manson or something, cult-like the, the whole religious complex. And so the imperial cult was this whole system of belief in religion that was centered around worshiping the emperor of the Roman Empire. And now the Roman emperors themselves didn't really, you know, propagate this, didn't push it forward. But in the eastern parts of the empire, like, say, I don't know, western Turkey, maybe, these parts of the empire said the emperor is a god. You should worship the emperor. And of course, if you're the emperor, even if you're not instigating the idea, you're not... uh, it's not too bad of a deal. You might not shut it down so quickly because pretty sweet deal, right? You're, not, you're being called a god. And so, you know, maybe, say, Ephesus, who says you're a god, might get better treatment or more power or whatnot. And so we start to see this social pressure mounting on the Jews there because they're refusing to worship that God, or the emperor, rather, and, say, and the society around them is saying, you need to worship the emperor because y'all need to join us or else you're shooting us in the foot, right? Because you're, you're hurting our community if you don't. And so some of the Jews were like, eh, it's, it's no big deal. He's not a God anyway, so it doesn't matter. And some of the Jews were like, eh, it's just not a big deal. Don't worry about it which our beloved friend John is not okay with. <laughs> and this is where his invective comes out. Take, for example, his letter to the city of Pergamum. He gushes about the Pergamumese church. We'll call that, yeah. Uh, because they stayed strong, in, even though they're in the place of Satan's throne. Now, what do we mean by Satan's throne? In the city of Pergamum, it's located on the top of this big hill, and right up at the top is this gigantic altar to Zeus, and it happens to be a hub for the imperial cult. And so John writes to the church there and says, you done good. You got to keep going. Keep staying the course. Don't give in to that satanic imperial cult. And John is railing against the empire here. And we'll see that again and again throughout the whole book. Because remember, it's all centered on God versus Rome. Now, unfortunately, in Revelation, we've also got some negative aspects of John emerging uh, throughout these letters. Now, the first one, actually, I, I think is not altogether John's fault and he gets unfairly blamed for Because the content of these letters in the book of Revelation have been used for anti-Jewish and anti-Semitic attacks throughout history, throughout the entirety of history, of the Christian history. And one piece that has been used as such is we heard actually today that some of the churches have been plagued by the synagogue of Satan. And I mean, of course, in good John fashion, he makes everything black and white, right? And, and completely stark as he can, so that doesn't help anything. But later interpreters take up this phrase, synagogue of Satan, and that they say, oh, that means the Jews are aligned with the devil. 
And thus, it legitimizes whatever sort of vile thing we want to do to them, right? Which is a complete misreading of this book. Because, for one thing, one of the things that John says immediately afterwards is, those who call themselves Jews but are not. Right? In Revelation, John is not saying, Judaism's dead, stop being Jews. Right? That's later Christians. John's saying, this particular group of folks that he's attacking so hard, he's attacking for not being Jewish enough, for not doing it well enough. They call themselves Jews, but they're not living up to that standard. And it's not rejecting Judaism. It's calling people back to more faithfully following Judaism. Because remember, John is Jewish. The churches at this time are Jew- predominantly Jewish. And there's, at this point in history, there's no such thing as Christianity. There, there is Christ-following Jews, and there are Gentiles, non-Jews, that have converted to become Christ-following Jews. Right? It's all Judaism at this point. Because, and so we see this coming out for John. Because what's the situation that John's railing against again? People have gone and started to assimilate. They've started to give up their Jewishness to join the Roman culture around them, which means participating in the imperial cult, worshiping the emperor. And that is a sharp line for John. So it's not accurate to use these letters for anti-Semitic attacks because... Here, John, himself a Jew, is calling other Jews to be better Jews. Uh, He's calling them to reject the imperial cult, the worship of the emperor, in order to more rigorously follow their faith. The anti-Judaism here is not on John's shoulders, but it's on that of later Christians. That being said... There definitely are some things that John is responsible for. And this is one of the places where he's in line with that other John from, you know, a couple months ago. Yeah, first John. Um, Because our John does not deal with difference well, let's say. Uh, Now, don't get me wrong. The fact that he sees the world in stark black and white actually does lead to some of the most fascinating and poignant aspects of this book. His clear-cut stance against the imperial cult, this emperor worship, is leads to some of the most incisive critiques of empire in the whole ancient world. It fights against the violence upon which the Roman Empire was founded, or, or any empire for that matter, and insists that we imagine a new peaceable world And the only reason we hear of this any way in the first place is because of John's black and white worldview. That brings it into existence. It leads to so much of this rich, provocative stuff. But this black and white worldview also leads to some really problematic attitudes. And we see some of them here in these letters. So for example... He writes a letter to the folks of a city called Thyatira, and he absolutely rips into this woman named Jezebel, right? The, the stereotype, the archetypical form of the 
temptress woman, right, whose, whose lasciviousness is trying to lure the good, innocent church into wantonness, right? You know the stereotype, yes? I mean, this type of rhetoric is not unprecedented. The Hebrew prophets throughout the Bible use, the, use this imagery of fornication, of, of, uh, of prostitution to depict the nation turning away from God and committing idolatry. So it's not unprecedented, but in John describes himself as a prophet, and so it fits in that mold. But, even though it's not unprecedented, look at what John is doing here. There's this woman leading this church. She's clearly respected. She's a teacher. She has a lot of people who are growing under her care. And John really doesn't like her. And clearly, he super strongly disagrees with her. And just like with that other John from 1 John, our John does not see her as a fellow Christ follower who has a different perspective. No, she's Jezebel, the temptress, the, the prototypical evil woman trying to lure the church into sin. Right? And so John rips into her, and almost literally, because he uses this violent imagery to depict her being thrown out of the community and punishing her and her followers. And the, the imagery is oblique and euphemistic, so it's hard for us to figure out exactly what he's threatening. But we know that it's a forceful image of displacing and hurting her and her followers. He's slinging mud and calling names and threatening violence because he doesn't agree with this other leader in the church. And so, in toto, John's a really complicated figure. He sees the world in stark contrast and cut cleanly into black and white, absolute good and evil, which on the one hand means that he can produce these phenomenal insights, this revolutionary stuff about how Christ followers should engage in the violent systems of domination, especially empire. It's such rich stuff. But on the other hand, this black and white language, the worldview, means he cannot relate across difference productively with anybody who thinks different from him. And aren't those two things just so relevant in our current world? Are they not? Because, right, how do we think about how we as Christians relate to violent states and empires and what are we compelled to reject because of our faith on one hand? But also, how have our communities broken down in being able to communicate? Right across any difference. I mean, this is the topic everybody's talking about, right? America's polarization and how we can't talk to anybody across difference anymore, right? And both of these topics are what we are compelled to reflect upon when we see how John is relating to his world. And so in some ways, John stands in for both our best and our worst impulses, So this afternoon, after you turn on the news and see the inability to converse, or once you notice yourself in a relationship with those who differ from you, or rather, refusing to be in that type of relationship, 
Or once you hear of the, the violence, the, the ideological or physical or emotional or spiritual or psychological, the, when you hear of that violence being done by states toward populations or individuals, may you consider John and what lessons you can learn from him and what traps you can avoid. May it be so.